We're going to do this, guys. I'm not giving up. We are going to do this. All right. Here I am. Follow me. Follow me. Come back. There we go. I'm not going to give up, you guys. We are going to do this. We are going to do this. Come on. Keep joining. Find us. Yep. There you guys are. Come on. Guys, we are doing this. In Jesus' name, we, we are doing this. So I'm just going to give a half of a second for people to come back and join it. We, I'm not giving up. Yeah, good job. Good to see you guys. My third time trying this, but we're not going to give up. There you guys go. Thanks for coming back, guys. Come on, you guys are as determined as I am. Yeah, there you go. All right, so everybody that's on right now, you just let's just go ahead and just cover this. So Jesus, we just ask that this connection stays until I hit the end button, that there will be no more issues with connections, so that, come on, I'm connecting you guys with the Father tonight over the subject, no more disconnection, all right, in Jesus' name. Okay, stay with us, you guys are finding us, this is awesome. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go back and I'm just going to quickly say what I already said before we got cut off just to let people join us real quick. Come on. Good for you guys for coming back. Thank you so much. So um, I know this is a heavy subject, and I know that this subject covers a lot and affects a lot of families, either from adults that have gone through it or from children that are walking through it right now. But I just want to tell you that we cannot think for a minute with everything that the enemy is doing on earth today in this area. We cannot think for a minute that God is not bigger or that heaven doesn't have something to say about this, or that Jesus did not die for the keys for the, um, to be the solution with what our children are going through today. So I just want to expand the, the, um, our, our, our vision and our faith that God actually has something to say and do with this topic with our children. All right, so what I explained a second ago in the video before we got cut off is that we are mind, body, and spirit. And so when we have trauma, Trauma happens, or when we have a scary event, or we go through something, it happens to our mind, our, and our body, and our spirit. And so, obviously, obviously, when children have a sexual offense happen to them, we want to make their body safe. So we want to pull them out of the trauma. We want to pull them away from the person or the, the, the situation where it's happened. Obviously, we already know this. <laughs> and for a lot of you, this looks like, walking through hard things, such as investigations or police officers or social services. And I just want to empower you and encourage you with this, that heaven is not afraid of getting messy. And heaven is not afraid of giving strategy for, for these situations. That our hope and our trust is not in the judge. It's not in the police officer. It's not in the investigation. It's not in the social worker. It's not even in the verdict. And it's not even in justice. That is not where we put our hope. We put our hope in the one that sees all and that knows all. And I just want to encourage those of you, excuse me, I'm kind of losing my voice here, but I'm going to encourage you, for those of you that are walking through some of this stuff, that I want you to get, are currently walking through it, do not be afraid to ask heaven for strategy. That there is divine strategy that does not look like what a lawyer or a social worker might give you. And it will look different for every family, for every child, but heaven has something to say for the strategy for walking children through this, okay? So I just want to empower you with that. Um, when we have trauma, it obviously happens to our mind and to our emotions. And so this is where we start believing lies about ourselves. We start believing lies about other people. 
This is where obviously our emotions get hurt. We feel afraid. We feel unsafe. We feel insecure, um, right? So we know that. And I feel like there's a lot of information out there for sexual offenses that happen with children with um, like how to keep their bodies safe and how to emotionally walk them through that. But it also happens to our spirit. So again, we're mind, body, and spirit, and trauma happens to all of them. And what I'm seeing over and over and over again is I'm seeing parents walk through children, through the body, and through the mind, through the emotions, but they're, they're neglecting the spirit realm and what happens to the child in the spirit realm when this happens to them. And so I really want to spend the time tonight talking about that. And I just, I, I can honestly say that I have an excitement despite the heaviness of the situation and I speak from my own personal experience but I have an excitement because there is such freedom coming there is such freedom coming for families tonight with this message because we cannot neglect the spirit realm and when we go after mind body and spirit and bring heaven and heaven down and bring freedom to the child in all areas that's where children are truly free Okay, so I just want to break down a little bit more for you. What is the purpose of a sexual offense? Okay, so that can that can be a whole wide variety of definitions or of events that are happening for children. But it's basically when children are um, 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 engaging in a sexual behavior that is violating to them and that is against their will, and obviously is just not appropriate based on their age, right? And so that's a whole gamut of of um, potential there. But I'm, I'm going to call it a sexual offense. And the purpose of a sexual offense is what Jesus describes in John 10.10 when he says, hey, you have an enemy, and the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He didn't say a bad day. He didn't say a little discouragement. He didn't say, you know, just to kind of like hinder you a little bit. He said kill, steal, and destroy. And he's not mincing words. And children are not exempt from living in a fallen world where they have an enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. There's more to that verse that we're going to get to in a minute, but that is the purpose. That is the purpose of, of sexual offenses. It's to kill, steal, and destroy. So the next question would be, kill, steal, and destroy what? What, what, are we, what is the enemy coming to kill, steal, and destroy through that sexual encounter? Could be peace. It could be their security. It could be their identity. It could be their destiny. It could be their sense of value, their sense of worth. Um, it, it, you name it. <laughs> but it. But the purpose of the event, the sexual event, is not just for the, for, for the sexual act itself. It's to come to kill, steal, and destroy and hinder that child for the rest of their life. It's like a heart splinter or an arrow that goes into their heart to take them to take out um, their worth, their value, their destiny, their identity, etc. Right? So that that's the purpose of it. Um, the enemy. I really want to expose this. This is very important. <coughs> Excuse me for my throat here and my voice. But but the enemy does this. I'm giving you. I'm I'm, I'm exposing the enemy here. So what he does to children or to adults. Is he, he orchestrates um, situations or circumstances where it overwhelms our system, right? So for an adult, it might be like we get a bill that we know we can't afford or we can't pay. We don't have that money in our account. It could be that like we get like really bad news or like we, we, we get fired from a job or it's just it's something that shocks our system. Like our minds can't wrap around it and our emotions are going crazy and it's like we get frozen in that really quick, right? Does that make sense? 
Well, the same thing happens for children when they're in a, in a sexual encounter that is overwhelming for them. They just, they, it's like you just freeze. And in that moment of becoming paralyzed is where the enemy starts whispering lies. You're powerless, you don't have a voice, nobody cares, you're not protected, and he whispers those lies to us. But those lies feel true because we're at this all like this like this frozen, paralyzed um, place. Does that make sense? And what happens is when the trauma is done, when the trauma um, is over, the lies remain. And I, just, I, I won't go into the full-blown testimony right now. I just don't want to take the time. But there was a situation with my daughter when she was five, and uh, a sexual situation, and it and it, it all got aborted, and and nothing happened. But but I I, I want to walk this out um, for you to paint a picture for you. So she was five years old, and she came back, and she um she was telling me what happened, and she said that a person had um had exposed themselves sexually with her and was very aggressive and assertive with what she needed to do. And I'm like, okay, baby, you know, come talk to me and tell me everything that happened. And she said, well, mom, she said, you weren't there for me. And she was staying in another mother's house. And she said, Miss so-and-so wasn't there for me. And I just want to stop that story right there and just tell you, like, I saw red. Like, I, fireworks were going off inside me at that moment because the truth is, she was about three or four feet away from a room full of people. Now, I'm not in any way, shape, or form putting blame or responsibility on a child that they should have handled that any different than how they handle it. They are children, right? Um, or, or they're in that place of, of everything being frozen and paralyzed. So I'm not putting any blame or responsibility on her. But I am telling you that in that moment where she, her system was shocked and, and it like overrode like all of her senses, the lie, you're all alone, made sense to her. And that's just the nature of how the enemy loves to bring those, those circumstances. And then in that place is when he starts speaking those lies. And then our, our circumstances serve as the evidence that the lie is true. Okay? Just want to break that down for you. Let's talk just for a second about the effects of an offense, of a sexual offense. So how does that affect us? How does that affect a child? There's numerous ways, but I'm going to talk about a couple. The first thing is, in all my years of, of ministering to adults, um, and, and obviously that the adult who's, who had um, a situation when they were a child, or adults who are walking their children through it, um, I have yet to see a situation where there is childhood sexual offense and there's not a spirit of fear. They're married together. That it, and again, I'm not going to put a law and say that you've never, that they're never together, but I've not seen one. That the spirit of fear is always attached, um, in my view, it's always attached to sexual offenses. Um, and again, what happens is long after the, 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 um, long after their body is safe, that spirit of fear remains. And if we're not dealing with the spirit of fear after the trauma is over, then that spirit of fear can stay with them for the rest until they deal with it. Um, so I want to highlight that. Um, the other thing is walls. So children learn, hey, I trusted you. I trusted my coach. I trusted my parent. I trusted this friend. I trusted them. And my heart, my body, my, my, my sexual safety got violated. And so what, what that taught them or what they, um, um, what that introduced them to is that adults, or people are not safe. And so children who are, they, they go into survival. And so they're like, I need to have a wall around my heart in order to feel safe. 
Now, God's not mad at walls. Walls make sense. Walls are actually a really good thing in a lot of different um, circumstances or situations, right? Obviously, I'm talking about in the natural. There's a time and a place for a wall, is what I'm saying. But the problem with walls is that sometimes they serve well to keep the bad out, but they also keep the good from coming in. So oftentimes you see a child who has had a, a sexual situation, and you, you the parents don't know about it yet, but what the parents see is they see that wall. They see that don't talk to me, you know, slamming doors, that detachment. And so maybe instead of going after, <coughs> excuse me, trying to tear down the wall, which they need to feel safe and protected, maybe we should be spending more time trying to figure out why they need a wall to feel safe. But walls are classic for um, the fruit, if you will, of somebody being sexually violated and them just scrambling to try to make their heart feel safe again. So again, pay attention to why they would need that wall or what the wall um, um, is serving, um, the purpose of the wall. Um, trust. Um, when children have been violated by other adults, it rocks their world and, and, and gives them a grid that not everybody is trustworthy. They've been introduced to the fact that you cannot just trust everybody. And what that does is it robs them and it hinders them of intimacy. And again, that's something that happens um, um, to their mind, body, and spirit. And if we're not, if we're just dealing with the trauma and we're not dealing with some of the other stuff that happens, um, the fruit of the trauma, then that can remain long after the trauma is gone. This is a big one. I see this one a lot. It's um, double-mindedness. So there's something inside their spirit knows, hey, this behavior is not okay. This behavior does not feel right to me. But there's so much confusion going on for them. Again, maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was somebody that they trusted. Maybe it was somebody who had deceived them greatly. Maybe it's somebody that bribed them. Hey, if, you know, let's go do this and you get this reward. Or maybe they um, 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 somehow it made sense to them in the moment. Again, I'm not putting any blame on them. I'm talking about this is just the nature of the abuse and how children get drawn into that. Um, but it creates double-mindedness for them. So their mind is like, well, um, um, but I'm supposed to be doing this. I, I'm supposed to obey my authority. I'm told to do this, and I don't want to make them mad at me, or right? But their spirit is like, this doesn't feel right. And so it creates separation of their mind and their body, or their, their spirit, and it's like being tossed around at sea. This is why, parents, I feel like it's so important that we proactively teach our children about sexual safety in the time of peace because it gives them a grid for this is not okay. So then should an event happen, they already have a grid and they don't have to be double-minded in it. They just know this is not okay, this is not safe, and it helps them to come tell an adult. But it's when they don't know, is this okay, is this not okay, and it creates that double-minded thing. Um, that is very difficult for a child to walk through. Another effect of, of sexual offense is it's like it closes off love tanks. Um, picture a child that has a love language of touch and picture that, that language of touch being used inappropriately and how confusing and how uncomfortable that is for a child. That child is then going to be pushing away touch, good touch, healthy touch, the touch that we all need to be connected to other people, but they, they, they push that away and it cuts them off from getting their love tank filled. Picture the child that has the love language of words of affirmation. 
in picture in the grooming process there's the, the words are being spoken over them that feel good or that make them feel powerful or make them feel wanted or make them feel like they're special or like they have favor and then it ends with sexual trauma and then they have learned wait a second my um and again they don't have a, a vocabulary for this but they're like i want that language but when i want when i got it last time it, it ended bad and so it shuts them off from being able to receive that, okay? Um, another one that I see a lot is guilt is a, is a God-given tool that, that he's um, wired us with that says what we're doing, so the verb. So what we're doing is wrong. It's not going to go well with you to go do this or to go do that. It's not going to be fruitful for you. And so God allows us to feel guilty. Guilt should lead us to repentance. It should lead us back to where it is that we need to be and to get back on track, right? So that's a good thing. That's, that's, a, that's a good thing. It should lead to godly repentance, and it should, should, um, should get us back on track. But the enemy cannot create anything. He, he is not able to create anything. He just takes what God has made, and he perverts it, and he creates a counterfeit. So, so the enemy takes guilt that should lead us back to the Father and should lead us back into the place that we're supposed to be of righteousness. And he perverts it and he creates shame. And shame doesn't say what you did is wrong. Shame says who you are is wrong. It's very common when you have childhood sexual offense for the enemies to start whispering, ooh, who you are is wrong, who you are is wrong. And, 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 the, and the child then grows up with feeling, something's wrong with me, I'm not okay, something is really, really, excuse me, something is really wrong on me. It is the ultimate attack, I believe, on a child's identity of their worth and value because they grow up with this constant garment on them that something's wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with them because the guilt should be on the perpetrator. The guilt should be on the one that's doing wrong, not on the one that was receiving it. Okay? So I want to move right now into giving you guys some ministry tools for your parenting toolbox. So obviously this is not an exhaustive list, but one of the reasons why I felt led, <coughs> excuse me, one of the reasons why I felt led to do this is because I get three to five messages a day from parents around the globe, I'm sorry, three to five messages a week from parents around the globe asking me for tools and for help for what their children are walking through. And it is, um, I just believe that we need tools today. And so I'm going to walk you through some of the tools that I give to parents in their situation. And I just want you to grab and pull on whatever one Holy Spirit is highlighting for you in your situation. They might not all fit, but hopefully this will just um, in, uh, increase the tools in your parenting tool belt. Okay? So the first one is, parents, when you're dealing with this with your own children, uh, the first thing I tell people is put the oxygen mask on yourself first. That this assignment from the enemy that your child obviously endured, it wasn't, um, it, it also came to you. And it also, I believe, was an attack of the kill, still and destroy on you. That it is so difficult. Come on, parents. When we find out that our children are walking through this, what does it do? It brings us to that shock, to that, to that paralyzed place. And that's where we start believing lies. And I just really want to encourage you to go sit with a father as a son and as a daughter and take time out to let him minister to your heart. Now, we know we need to minister to the children and we need to help the children. 
but you are going to be so much more effective that if you if you can get the oxygen mask on yourself first and you can you can receive from him his strategy his love his his um, taking care of your heart in in hearing the news of what's going on with your child if you can get that first I promise you you will be able to minister better to your child and you'll be able to hear the father speaking to you more about what is the strategy for your child I want to just let you know that um, I hear lies that um, that moms and dads are believing when they find out this news. I hear lies all the time. And so we want to minister and we want to address that part first, okay? So some of the lies that I hear is um, a mom just recently said to me, I feel like all my hard work as a mom just got erased. Like it just got, all the hard work that I put into my child just got destroyed. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. But if you're partnering with that lie, you're going to start parenting from that place of hopelessness and feeling like the enemy won. And that is a lie. Another thing that I've heard is, I feel like my child's going to be wounded and crippled for the rest of their lives. The lie. That is a lie that is taking what the enemy has done and exalting it above the cross. And that is not an accurate assessment of what happened. It feels big and it feels traumatic. And there are things that we need to walk our children through. But it is not above the cross. That is a lie. Um, um, I believe that sometimes when this happens and when we find out that our children have been walking through this, that it is an arrow, an attack on our parenting so that we, we get crippled and so that we believe lies, like I said, and then we parent out of that place of, of less than the Father has called us to be. It, 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 is, it is kill, still and destroy. It, it's like two generations in one. And we just say no to that. We say absolutely no to that, that there are, there are tools of heaven for walking our children through this. And um, so I just encourage you, too, to sit with Jesus and just ask, what lies am I believing? because of the news that I found out about what my child is going through. Just let him minister to that place of you. Okay. I know for me that when I was walking through part of my story, <coughs> excuse me, I apologize for my throat here. One of the hardest parts for me to get over was that that bubble had been popped over my children. Come on, you guys. We, we, we have these children, and we, we, we go after keeping them safe and protected. We don't want germs on them. We don't want them to get sick. We don't want them to have a tummy ache. We don't want them to fall down. You, you know, you're talking about a new parent here, right? And we, we do everything we can to make sure that their lives are just so safe and so protected. And for me, the hardest thing to get over, the hardest thing for me to just accept and to surrender is that that bubble had been popped. I didn't want this for my young children. I didn't want this at my young children's age. I wanted their, I wanted them to just be perfect for a little bit longer. I just, I didn't want them to know the real world so fast. I just, that's the part I just, I can't stress. It just took me so long to get over that. There was just so much anguish in my, in my spirit about it. And I remember I, I was talking to a mentor at our church. And she uh, was sharing a story with me, and she said that uh, she was talking about a family, and they, they had done, like, everything right. And the mom and dad were just godly parents, and their children were just amazing, and straight-A students, and just they had, they had such a calling on their lives, and everything was just going very well. Until the daughter, the one daughter, entered high school, and she met a bully on the playground and made her life a living hell. 
And she's, the daughter was so traumatized by what had, was going on at school on the playground with this other girl, um, or this, I don't know who it was, but this other person, that the daughter started partnering with suicide. And it just, it just wreaked havoc on this family. And I remember as she was telling me the story, I was like, are you trying to tell me that if the bubble of perfection, the bubble of keeping my child so perfectly safe, it, are you trying to tell me that if it didn't happen through the circumstance that we were walking through, that it probably would have been popped at another time? And she just looked at me and she just said, the truth is we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And what you want for your child is heaven. And heaven is not on earth yet. Not, not in, a, in a perfect 365 days out of the year for the rest of their life. And I'm not saying that to say we should just lay down and accept it. But I am saying, moms and dads, that sometimes we have to get over the grief that trauma has knocked on the door for our children. And I just am validating that that is a process for some of you. Um, <clears throat> I want to, um, yeah, okay, so the second part of John 10.10, 10, where the, Jesus is talking and he says that the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. The second part says, but I have come. It's Jesus, and he's talking, and he says, but I have come to overcome and to give you life abundantly. Come on, read the different versions in the Bible. It is beautiful what Jesus has come to give us, you guys. And I just want to declare over you that you have authority over the sexual spirit that has knocked on your door and that, is, that has come into your family. You have authority over that spirit. We do not need to lay down and become a victim to what the enemy is doing through the sexual, um, the sexual offenses on earth today through our children. We are not a victim, and we have authority over that. So I just want to encourage you to rise up into that. Um, because I talked about sexual trauma and the spirit of fear almost always being married. I want to give you some tools for dealing with the spirit of fear, okay? So if your child is still living in your home, you you are the head of the household. You have authority in your home. So this is what I encourage you to do. I encourage you to wait until that child is completely asleep. Now, I don't mean like 8 o'clock, you know, just barely sleeping. I mean like a deep sleep, like right before you go to bed, go back into the bedroom. And you don't need to yell. You don't need to scream. You don't even need to, to touch them. It's not a power struggle. It's not a, it's not a yelling match between you and the enemy. It's an authority issue. And I'll tell you, if even in me talking about this, you're feeling freaked out, if there's like fear of fear, if you're afraid of fear, all that means is that you just don't know who you are yet. You just don't have the revelation fully yet of the authority that Jesus died for and gave to us when we became believers. So again, it's not a screaming match. There's no battle. It's not a battle of who's going to win. You are the enemy. He must submit to the name of Jesus. It's, that's how it goes, right? So I want you to go into their room when they're in deep sleep, and I just want you to call it out, and I just want you to say, Spirit of fear, I see you, and you need to leave now in Jesus' name. That's all you need to say. And then what I like to do is I just like to just walk through my child's body. So I just say, spirit of fear, you may not speak to their mind. You may not speak to their memory. You may not speak to their eyes and let them see things. You may not speak to their ears. You may not talk to them. You may not speak to um, through their, the words that they call out, through the words that they speak to themselves. You may not speak to their heart, and that's go through their body physically, to their nervous system, to their muscles, to their tissues. You may not speak to their sexual organs. You may not speak to their identity. You may not speak to their destiny. And I just kind of just wash my child. I just kind of just walk through my child and wash them clean. And the Bible says that when you do that, when you tell the bad to go, 
that you need to invite the good. So then I just go back and I just shower my child with the Holy Spirit. And the whole time they're sleeping like a baby. And so we just walk through again and we just say, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. The authority in this house, we invite you to come and speak to my child's mind, to speak to their ears, to speak to their eyes, to give them pictures in their, in their minds, to speak to their destiny, to speak to their, um, to their, to their identity, to their destiny. <coughs> Excuse me. We speak to the future wife or, or um, father that they're going to be, uh, wife or husband that they're going to be, the mother or father that they're going to be someday. We bless their children, and, and, and that's what we do. So we're going in and we're dealing with the spirit of fear, and we are increasing the Holy Spirit to come and to influence that child. I just think that's beautiful. If there was a, a sexual offense that was homosexual in nature or same-sex in nature, then what, what I feel like is very important is that we also address the homosexual spirit. So I'm not getting into different beliefs about that, but there are spirits when a child has a violation of the same sex, there are spirits that start manipulating that child's sexual and gender identity. And so just like we dealt with the spirit of fear, you can go back in and you can do that with a homosexual spirit. And I just say, homosexual spirit, I see you, and you need to go now in the name of Jesus. And you may not speak to my child's mind. You may not speak to their ears. And it just walks through like, like, like I just taught you. And so um, we want to address that. Um, my child, or a child, does not need to be putting up with little thoughts and little little um, lies from the enemy about their sexual identity or sexual um, orientation because of a, a violation that has happened. And we can take authority over that. Okay? I want you to, or encourage you as another tool in your tool belt, to go through, um, hope it's still working. Somebody's just saying it's, it's interrupted, but oh, if it's not, I'm just going to keep going. Um, um, I want you to walk through empowering their identity. So this is not um, what they do. This is who they are. So, so this is, wouldn't be the time and place to call out that they're straight-A students or great at basketball. I'm talking about their worth and value. So I really want you to in increase that. Increase reminding them of who they are. You are loved. You are valuable. You are important. You are, you are worthy. And if you're seeing children having a block to that, so let's just say you have a, a daughter and you are calling out, you are so worthy. And you are seeing that she's resistant of that. And it's like she just can't receive that. Then it could be that she's believing a lie about her worth and her value. So that's actually a good thing that she's showing, hey, I'm believing a lie here. And that's why I cannot receive the truth. So you want to walk delicately. I've got a lot of teachings on how to help children with heart splinters. Um, but um, you want to walk with Holy Spirit and let him give you the strategy and partner with him with it. But you want to really go after that lie and you want to go after letting Holy Spirit or Jesus speak the truth to her about her worth and value. And I feel like that's a great one. Another tool that I want to give you in your tool belt is it's very common for children to transfer what they experience with their mother, their father, or their siblings, or other significant um, teachers, coaches, pastors, leaders, etc., to transfer those experiences to God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. 
And so, so if their dad wasn't available, sometimes they think God isn't available. They feel like their mom is overly angry or responds a lot in anger, then they transfer that to Holy Spirit's angry and unpredictable. And so what we want to do is we want to start ministering to children and realigning the truth about who the Godhead is. And so saying things to our children such as, do you know Father God would never violate you? Father God is so safe. And reinstating for them that, that God, Father God, trusts himself. And Father God is not that way, even though we experience that on earth. Does that make sense? I feel like if you see a family going through a divorce, the best thing you can come along to that child and whisper in their ear and say, Father God would never leave you. He would never leave you or forsake you. And you are reinstating the truth about who God is, and you're breaking off the lie that, that they generally believe about who he is because of their earthly experiences. So go after that. I would, I would definitely increase that in your home. I feel like it's so important, the ministry of validation. It is so important. Often what we do is we want to focus on the perpetrator and we, we want to, we want to focus on our anger or being mad at them or, right, calling out their wrong. But how about if we just focus on the child and we just enter this place in this ministry of validation? I'm so sorry that happened to you. It's not okay that you got hurt. It, is, it makes me sad that that happened to you. And we're just ministering through validation to what the child has encountered. Don't talk about the perpetrator. Don't talk about, don't talk about your anger. Don't talk about your feelings of them. Just validate for them how you feel that they had to endure that. I feel like there's a difference in that. <coughs> um, there was a situation with my son that somebody um, had a very legalistic view of purity and spoke something over him, and I'm sure that their heart was right, but it shamed them. It shamed, it shamed him. Um, it was purity in a legalistic way, and, and it shamed him. And I could tell there was a night and day switch over him. And um, so I've been walking that out. And come on, shame with your, um, with your, with, um, um, Shame is a hard thing to walk through. Something's wrong with me, right? doesn't matter what the source is or what, what the subject is. But as I was walking that out with him, um, it became time to talk about, um, you know, um, sexual education. And um, a lot of kids were starting to talk more on the playground, and I thought, I need to get to it first before they do or before he hears something. And my son, it's like everything just came out in him, and he couldn't even talk about it. There was so much shame, he couldn't even talk about it. And um, we went after this for a while, and he just—he wasn't going to have it. Like, he would totally shut down with me, the walls, the everything. And I finally told him, I said, listen here. I said, part of me equipping you for a healthy life is, is letting, making sure that you are educated in this area. Part of being sexually safe is being sexually educated on some level. And I said, you will either need to hear it from me, or you, I'm going to need to grab another man, and you're going to need to hear it from him. But either way, you need to be educated before you hear lies, perversion, and things that are not accurate on the playground. And I said, but here's the deal, buddy. I said, we're not going to talk about it. You, uh, you have my word. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about the subject. But we are going to talk about why you can't talk about it. And it took us six months of going after why he couldn't talk about it. Shame is, 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 um, shame is something that we want to deal with in childhood so that we do not have to take that on into adulthood.
and I can say that my it was broken off my son and that he um, his walls came down and we've ended up having great conversations about sexual education <laughs> pretty fun but anyways the point is the shame was getting in the way and we want to deal with that um, I want to encourage you as another tool in your tool belt to take communion take communion and really go slow and talk I don't mean in a religious way I mean in a, the purpose of communion God tells us, or Jesus tells us, take communion often. Do this in remembrance of what the cross means. So this is what I want it to look like for you guys, or what I encourage you um, for it to look like. Um, we're almost done here with, with this part. But I want to encourage you to take the bread, and I want you to let that child know that there is a, excuse me, there is a drop of blood on Jesus' back. Jesus on the cross died for us. So that we didn't have to live in the destruction that we could live with him, right? Where Jesus came, for, that we would have life abundantly. So that he came to take us into that abundant life, right? But there is a drop of blood on Jesus' back to heal this part of your heart that got hurt during the sexual offense. That Jesus, his blood covers that. And walk that child through that Jesus has abandoned. Jesus has a solution. Jesus has healing for that part, and they don't need to carry with that with them for the rest of their lives. And then we're going to go through the communion. And the communion is forgiveness. So we want to forgive the person that has done this to us. Oh, my goodness, you guys, I get revenge. I get the injustice. I get the, the, the bitterness. I get that. But that will not go well and profit that child to hold on to this for the rest of their lives. It will be like the offense. Um, it will be like the offense hurting them over and over and over and over and over and over again. That we have got to help our children release it and let go of it so that they can be free. And there's something that happens in the spiritual realm that when our children are, um, um, I'm sorry, when, when we um, release somebody who has offended us, who has hurt us, and we walk in forgiveness, there is something about in that place that the Father comes in and deals with that person. But when we hold on to them in judgment or offense, it's, it's, a, it's almost like the Lord says, I'm so merciful, you're doing it. You're, you're doing it. You get out of the way so I can step in and do what I need to do. Isn't that the ultimate justice? Isn't that the ultimate um, the father dealing with them rather than us. So anyways, forgiveness is important. And I just want to declare as another tool in your parenting tool belt that your child is okay. Your child's going to be okay. I just declare that this is not going to wound your child. And we just declare that um, we can help children deal with childhood always so that it does not become an adult-sized woundedness. Come on, guys, I'm going to say that again. We can help children deal with childhood always so it does not become adult-sized woundedness. There's something about, I've lived my, I, this is what I do for my living. This is my entire ministry, is empowering parents how to help children deal with childhood hurts, I call them heart splinters, so that they do not have to carry them on into adulthood. It takes a lot of work for an adult to work through childhood trauma. It actually is quite easy and, um, Easy isn't the right word. It doesn't take as long of a process when we help our children walk through it because the wound is still fresh. The wound pops out so much easier in childhood than it does when we've carried it on for decades and decades and decades and nurtured it and, and, and we've owned that as a, as a false identity into, into adulthood.
Okay. Anyway, I hope I gave you some some um, new tools for your parenting too about for your children. But I want to move into now, and I want to talk a little bit to the parents who are joining us tonight, who are here because you were the child that endured the sexual offense. And you are still walking that out, and you are still living with some of the aftermath of that. And I just, um, come on, you guys, I, I, um, my heart goes out for what some of you guys have endured, and the fact that it is, it has been robbing you and hindering you in some areas your entire life. And so I just, I just declare that there is freedom over you tonight, and I am going to give you tools as the parent um, for yourself. For walking the fact. I want to share a story with you. Excuse me for my water drinking here. But I just want to <clears throat> share a very, very powerful story with you. <coughs> my voice is holding up. Um, a couple years ago, I had a woman in ministry give me a phone call, and she is an anointed woman, and she is extremely fruitful, very mature. Many people love her, um, doing very well in life. And she called me, and she said, I am in crisis, and I, I need some ministry, I need some help. And I said, okay, what's going on? And she said, I have rage. And um, I've always kind of had anger issues, but she said, with my children, the rage has gotten to the point where I'm scared. I'm scared that I'm actually going to do something that would harm my child. Come on, guys, that's a very scary place for a parent to be in. And so I said, okay. Let's ask Jesus to show us what he wants us to know about where this anger is coming from. And she heard something and saw a memory pop up in our, you know, in a memory in her mind. And she immediately got upset with me. And she's like, absolutely not. I'm not going there. I'm not going to do this. And I was like, okay, that's great. We don't have to. I can take you anywhere you don't want to go. But I said, would you be willing to share what he showed you? And she said, yes. Yeah. She said, I was violated by my cousin years ago. But she said, Lisa, I promise you, I promise you, I have forgiven him. I have seen him since then. My heart is fine with him. I have peace with him. Like, it's a non-issue. I've done the hard work. I said, okay, great. And she said, um, my husband and I, we are, we have, um, we're healthy in, in that area. I have trust. I don't have any intimacy issues. She said, absolutely not. This is a done issue. I said, hey, that's not a problem at all. I said, but were you thinking about this with a cousin two minutes before you called me? Well, no, of course not. And I said, well, I just want to encourage you. We don't have to do anything. I'm not going to take you where you don't want to go. But I want to encourage you. You called me because you're in crisis because you're almost hurting your kids. And I said, so we asked Jesus, and Jesus showed you something, and now you're saying, no, that's not it. I said, are you curious at all to see what the, or interested at all in what the Lord wants to show you in that? Okay, okay, maybe she was. Maybe she was, a little bit. And she was still pretty upset about it. <coughs> the gist of it, the ministry that she received that day, is that the trauma from the cousin, um, remember, it happened to her mind, her body, and to her spirit. So the trauma had stopped to her body. She got healed physically of what he did to her. She went on and she did the hard thing. She forgave him, and she she um, she forgave him, and she worked through the emotional aspect of being violated. That's awesome. Most not everybody gets there. That's an incredible thing. Kudos to her. That's beautiful. Really, that's to be celebrated. But she never dealt with the spiritual aspect. And what the Lord showed her is that cousin, when he came to her, introduced her to a spirit of fear. 
And that spirit of fear has been with her her whole life, causing the anger. And we dealt with the spirit of fear that day. And the moment she dealt with that, she could feel something shifting. And years later, she messaged me and reported, I don't have anger issues anymore. She didn't have anger issues. She had a spirit of fear issue that stemmed from her sexual violation or sexual offense that was never addressed. Okay? I feel like that's going to hit home for a lot of you today, that the trauma is over. You've done the hard work to forgive, but it's still coming out in different areas because you've not dealt with the spiritual realm. Okay? So that's, that's one thing I really wanted to highlight. The other thing is we're going to talk about shame. We're going to talk about what adults look like where you walk around on a daily basis and you feel like something's wrong with you. You walk into a church and you so long for connection and intimacy with other people. You long for friends, but you literally walk in with a garment of something's wrong with me. And when you walk in with shame and you wear shame as your garment, you wear shame as your identity, come on, guys, it doesn't take much to have evidence where people, you know, they don't say hi to you or they're crabby or, or um, you know, things happen and it creates evidence for you that something's wrong with you. It, it just furthers the lie. Identity, um, I'm sorry, shame is not your identity and it's not something that you need to walk around with. So if, if shame is something that you're feeling, that sense of um, um, something's wrong with me, I want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, is something wrong with me? Am, am I guilty of something? It's not you. The guilt should have gone on the perpetrator, but the enemy twisted it and put it on you as a garment of shame. Okay? That's going to set a lot of people free. I know that it is. Some adults that have um, had their own sexual offense have lived a life of an above-average need to control and have things perfect. Come on. It's not always easy living with somebody who needs to control things. It's not always easy living with a mother or a father who walks in the need of, of perfectionism. But I want to let you know that um, the Lord's not upset with that. And the Lord understands your need to have things so rigid in order for you to feel safe. It makes sense. It makes sense that you would need things so in control so that your heart doesn't feel scared, right? So, so I want to declare liberty for you today, that you don't need to be in control of everything. You don't need to have a life that's perfect, that you actually can handle methods, emotional methods, relational methods, physical methods around the house. You can actually handle methods because the trauma is over. And the Lord is carrying the weight of the world. You don't need to carry that anymore. Come on, Jesus, set them free from that. I just feel like that is so huge. Again, I feel like there's adults that have endured trauma, sexual trauma, sexual offenses, and there is a profound longing in their hearts for connection and for intimacy. Like, like absolutely long for a best friend, long for that relationship with their spouse, but they can't have it, or they, they never, they want it, it's like this. They want it, but they can never seem to get it because of the walls that they set up as a young child to keep the trauma out, to, to feel safe, but it, it also shut the good out or blocked the good from coming in. Does that make sense? But I just want to encourage you again, God is not mad at your walls. I, 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 I was raised one time and I remember people saying, God doesn't like walls. God hates walls. I disagree with that. God sees your heart and why you need walls. 
And so obviously the greater thing is not to have a wall and to be have so much intimacy with him that you feel safe. But if you're in your process, you're in your journey of getting healed, invite Jesus to come and sit on the other side of the wall and talk to you through the wall. He loves to be with you, and he is not intimidated by that wall. Right, come on. You don't need to be... You don't have to have the wall gone in order to have in, to have a connection um, with your father. All right, let him come speak to you through the wall, so that the wall can come down. All right, I want to explain to you real quick. This is a much bigger teaching, but I want to explain to you what a guardian lie is. So often it looks like this in a in a uh, sexual offense situation. When a, if a perpetrator tells a child, if you you can't tell anybody. This is our secret. You can't tell anybody. And if you tell them, blank, blank, blank will happen. So let's just say they say, if you tell your, tell your mom, I'll, I'll harm her. I'll hurt her. So that child then has this trauma, <coughs> excuse me, has this trauma that came to them. But there's a guardian, like guards, out here keeping that trauma in because the child has a fear, another layer of fear. Well, if I share, then something's going to happen to my mom. This is not logical. This is in the spirit realm, okay? So you can have that child who is now grown up and in their 50s. Maybe their mother has already passed away. Maybe the perpetrator's in jail. But it's like they don't let the, the, the trauma come out or that, that wall that they've built up against the, along the, um, to, that surrounded the trauma because there's that guardian lie that something bad will happen. So oftentimes when people want to deal with their pain but they can't, they have to deal with the guardian first. So all we do with that is we just start, we just ask Jesus, is there something guarding the pain? Is there something, like it's almost like you have to deal with a guard before you can get into the prison. You have to deal with the security person, security guard, before you can get into the, to, to the place. Does that make sense? So I just want to call that out because that's something that I doubt, I've dealt with in my life with a couple of different issues. My trauma was so profound that I had all these guardian lies keeping the pain stuck in there. I so desperately wanted to be set free, but I could never access it because of these guardian lies. All right? I just want to expose that. Expose that. And I just declare over you the trauma is over. The trauma is over. The trauma is over. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I already talked about forgiveness. We want to walk through remembering the cross and the forgiveness so that the Father deals with them and we are not in that place of judgment, judging somebody, or the place of holding them accountable for what they did. That's the Father's job, and he does it well. He does it well, and he does it better than ever than we ever could. Um, I want to go into a, a delicate Thing here okay um, I hear um, I hear this often and I feel like it needs to be exposed so there is um, a question that a lot of people that have been sexually violated that they ask and they say well if God loved me and God is all-powerful and God is all-knowing why didn't he stop it it's a hard thing to process I know it is it's a hard hard place to process but I want to I want to I want to tell you the truth because he's given us a gift called free will. And it started with the it started with Adam and he gave him the entire garden and he said I've given you all of this. You can have all of this. You don't want to eat from this one. Do, do not eat from this one. 
And they did. God gives us free will. And he says, I, I, I don't want you, I want you to use sex in marriage for the way that I have intended it. I want you to do that. I don't want you to use sexual gratification as an orphan. I don't want you to use sexual gratification on children. I do, God says, I don't want you to use this. I don't want you to do this. But he gives us free will to choose. The, to choose. That's why he didn't rush in and control and manipulate and force or stop. Because other people's free will was involved. Okay? But I want to take it further, and I want to um, I want to say that the the greater question is not why did God why didn't God step in and stop it? I think the greater question is this: when we start having revelations of who Father God is, and that He is He has is a Father. He sent his son so that we could sit on his lap, so that we could go have relationship and connection and intimacy with him. I mean, he loves us so much. He's a father who wants to be restored to his children. The question is this. The question is, how in the world can a father endure with us what we've endured? Does that make sense? How can his heart take it? How can his heart take watching his children being hurt and, 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 and not rush in with control and manipulation and intimidation? It just goes back and points, points back to what a loving father he is. I hope, that, I hope that's making sense to some of you. I, I want to also go into asking Jesus where he was. It is important that we know where Jesus was. The Bible says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? So that means even when we are at our messiest, even when we are, we are not believing, not believers, even when we are innocent children, even when we are in, in really difficult encounters or situations, Christ is there for us, right? We don't have to be a believer for Christ to be there because he died for us when we were still, not, when we were still um, um, unbelievers, right? And it is important to settle, this, to settle this matter so that the enemy does not use it against you. So I'm going to share this in testimony form. And we're just about ready to wrap this up. Um, many of you know my story. I'm very open with it. But I had a drug overdose um, many years ago. And I was um, found three days later. And I was in a coma for um, three months. And I had kidney failure, liver failure, respiratory failure. Um, when I woke up from my coma, three months later, they told me that my mom had died, and I missed the funeral, I missed the burial, I missed all that stuff. And when I um, when I um, got out of the hospital and, and started to get better, um, I started working with a mentor, and we started going through a lot of this inner healing stuff. And she said, Lisa, she said, I really think that we need to go back and look at um, your overdose and, and you dying and being in your hospital bed. And remember, trauma happens to mind, body, and spirit. And she wanted to make sure that now that the trauma to my body had stopped and I was doing so much emotional work that we were also um, looking at things if they needed to be looked at in the spiritual realm. And I got so offended with her. It took me 20 minutes of fighting with her. This religious spirit, this, this, this just ugly, offended religious spirit came out. And I was like, how dare you? How dare you assume that my holy God, my perfect, clean, righteous, holy God was in my darkest day? 
How, how dare you even assume that? And she showed me the, the verse in Romans, the while, I was still, while I was still a sinner, that God sent his son to die for me. And she said, he was there. He was there in my messiest place. He was there in my darkest days when I was dying, and I was not a believer at the time. So um, would you? she asked me, would you be willing to ask him where he was? All right, I did, um, reluctantly. And I said, Jesus, would you show me where you were when I was dying in the hospital? Oh, my word, you guys. I saw this picture of my hospital bed with the tubes coming out everywhere. And I was on dialysis, the breathing tube, tube everywhere. And I saw him at the end of my bed. Oh, my goodness, he was there. Jesus was there in my darkest hour. And she said, I feel like he wants to show you something else. Let's ask him again. Jesus, is there anything else you want Lisa to see? And I saw him at the end of my bed with his hands over his eyes and his, his elbows were like on his knees. Remember, my mom had died and my dad um, was not there. I was an orphan dying. But Jesus was there. And he moved his head up. And I saw like his, his, um, tear, his, his face was tear-stained like a parent grieving over a daughter that was hurting and dying. I want to let you know that in the revelation that Jesus was there in my darkest hour, it didn't change my circumstances. My mom was still dead. I was still so sick. I still had to walk through my journey. It didn't erase or change that. But my perspective that he was there, it changed my perspective. It gave me hope. I could no longer partner with that I was all alone. I could no longer partner that nobody was there. Jesus was there. And so I want to challenge you, if you're struggling with Jesus, how dare you? How could you possibly have let this happen to me? Why didn't you rush in and stop it? I want you to ask the hard question, and I want you to say, Jesus, I don't ask, Jesus, where were you in he wasn't there? Ask in faith, based on Romans, he was there. So Jesus, show me where you were. So good. I want to add about anger. Anger is a normal response for somebody that is walking with the weight of the world on their shoulders. Anger is a normal response for a spiritual orphan who has, or for an orphan that has to strive and and um, and meet their own needs and um, and um, um, take care of themselves. They look out for their own back. Anger is a very normal emotion. You'd be angry. I mean, that, that's just, think about it. <laughs> if you are an orphan defending for your, defending for yourself, anger is normal. And and I want you to I want to encourage you. If this is you, if this is your story, I want to encourage you. Um, meaning, be the anger is your story. I want to give yourself some breathing room. When your children trigger you, and or life triggers you, and you're feeling that anger, pause for a minute. Go in another room and start asking Jesus some questions. Start asking him some questions about that anger. Give the anger a voice. What am I afraid of right now? What lie am I believing? Slow the trigger process down and let him speak into that anger and minister to you in that place.
I'll tell you, as, a, as I was working through physical abuse and, and, and getting healed from some of um, the memories and, and situations that I've had, one of the hardest things for me to overcome was when my children would partner with childlike joy. I have four of them, and they were, uh, by the time we brought our baby home, we had four kids under four, including twins. So they were like one big like daycare. And they'd be running around the house, and it was just pure joy and laughter, and there was, they wouldn't do anything wrong. And I would be like, stop it, stop it, it makes me, it made me anxious, I didn't like it, I didn't, stop it, and then time to do a movie, whatever. They would shut it down. And one time the Lord said to me, what are they doing wrong? Why are you scolding them? Why are you, why are you shutting it down? I said, I don't know, I just don't like it. I don't like when they're like that. And I was so aware that maybe this was a me issue and not a them issue. And so I would, I would go back to my room and I'd hear all this joy and I'd hear them laughing and giggling and I'd be crying. I'd be crying, and I'm like, why am I crying, Lord? I felt so anxious with childlike joy. That's just the nature of abuse, is it teaches you that, that the, good, the goodness. It teaches you the goodness isn't safe. And so there was a redeeming process for me, with trusting where I got triggered with something that the kids were doing. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to pass on that woundedness of me onto my children and teach them that joy is not okay. I want to have God heal that part in me so that I can parent whole, right? Um, so if anger is something that you deal with, I, I want you to give yourself a voice. Parent yourself. Be what you needed when you were that little girl or boy that needed somebody to come alongside you, when you have that anger, slow it down, parent yourself, let the Lord parent you in that place and give your anger a voice, okay? Um, I'm going to end with a story and then I'm going to pray over you guys. I recently um, was asked if I would do some ministry with a young gal, <coughs> excuse me, who was having some um, ongoing conflicts with a roommate and just really longing for connection and for, um, for healthy relationships, and it just was not working for her. And I want to tell you, I walked into her apartment, and it was like the atmosphere was like everything was on guard. So I wasn't really feeling like fear or afraid, but it was like, do you ever just walk into a place and you can feel the atmosphere around? Maybe it's loving or peaceful or joy, but it also can be um, negative stuff too. And it was literally just like somebody was like so alert, like could not settle down. It was like almost anxious, like, like it's not safe. And I was like, oh, my goodness, what is this atmosphere? And so I sat down with this sweet gal, and um, it, was, it was seriously one of the most beautiful ministry encounters that I've had with somebody. And I have her permission to share this. And um, so anyways, so I felt in my spirit that the Lord was saying that there was some sexual offense that happened when she was younger. And so I, I didn't say that, but I was just watching the Lord meet her and unfold this for her. And she had suspected that maybe something had happened, but didn't know what it was. So we started asking the Lord to, to show her, you know, um, what did he want her to see? And she said, I just see, she was, I, I think I'm getting the story right, but she's about two years old, and they were at a family wedding. And she just had the strong memory of her aunt who was like, who was holding on to her, but like would not let go of her. So she wasn't just, um, she, like, almost like she was protecting her. And it was such a strong memory for her. So we were asking Jesus, um, why was the aunt holding on to her so hard, so, you know, so, so um, protective? And God showed her, remember, Jesus was there. So even if our minds don't remember all the details, he was there. So we can ask him if we need to see something. 
and um, thought that we were doing this ministry. And um, sure enough, he showed her in a dark room with a gentleman who was there to do harm. And of course, it was very emotional ministry time for her, seeing this revelation. And we asked Jesus, Jesus, where are you? Where, where are you in this, in this memory? Where, where were you that day when this happened to this little two-year-old girl? And she said she saw Jesus in the corner. And even though the room was dark, Jesus sitting in the corner brought light. Come on, that's the nature of Jesus. He brings light to all dark places. <clears throat> and we asked Jesus <clears throat> um, what he did or, or what happened. And instantly she saw the aunt rush in and scoop up this little girl. And Jesus showed her something was going to happen. But I sent the aunt in to protect you. <clears throat> Isn't that a good story? Isn't that amazing? I feel like this girl's whole life, that trauma, it was over with her body. She wasn't aware of what had happened, and she wasn't able to get the healing and the emotion, emotional and, and with the lies. That's why she had the walls, and she couldn't receive intimacy. She also never dealt with it in the spirit realm, and she got set free that day because Jesus was there, and he showed her the truth, and he walked her through wholeness with that. Ooh, this is good. I hope you guys are feeling radically empowered and have new tools for your tool belt. And I, I want to end with a cry of my heart. The enemy is rampant today with sexual offenses, um, not just with children. Um, he is rampant right now. The use of the Internet, the use of um, pornography being so free, and um, it's not a dirty little secret anymore. It's everywhere. It's on TV. It's in movies. It's everywhere children turn. It used to be if children see porn, and now it's when children see porn. They're going to see it in today's world. The enemy is rampant. And he loves sexual offenses because it cripples them and has the, the capacity to hurt their destiny and their identity. But I want to tell you who my God is. And I want to tell you... <laughs> that it is not greater than the answer that God has on earth today and the, 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 the strategy, the keys and the solutions that he has. And I will just tell you that for every child that has been violated and for every parent that, that takes this seriously and walks in there with ministry of ministering to these children and, and, and validating what's happened and giving them to, the, the keys and the, the, um, the tools of heaven, I feel like there is a rising up of children that have been touched by the enemy where God is going to use them to be the light and the force on earth today to redeem and to restore purity. So I just want you to know that where, where your family, whether it's yourself or your children, your spouse or your children, have been touched, I want to let you know that the story is not ended. The story is not over. It is not over because the Lord is going to use these places to not only to redeem, but to pay back for what the enemy has done. Wow. What I'm going to do now is normally when I'm done with um, my live videos, we're done. 
but I'm going to go ahead and I'm gonna I'm gonna end the video and I'm gonna jump back online with you guys and I'm just gonna sit with you guys for a little bit so if you have questions if you have comments if you have um, if you just want to dialogue for a little bit I'm here for you and I just want to let you know there is hope I am so sorry for what some of you guys have walked through or are walking through and I just want to let you know there is so much hope there is so much hope for freedom and for healing in this area. All right, be blessed. We love you. And like I said, we'll jump online and we'll continue to talk for those that want to. Thanks for joining me.